So last Sunday, we began a new sermon, sermon series entitled Finding Our Way, talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to become like Jesus? And what does it mean to act like Jesus? These are the issues that we want to take up for the next several weeks. And so for the first three weeks of this series, we're talking around the theme of following Last week, we talked about the call that Jesus gave to Peter and Andrew, to James and to John, to come and follow him. And they dropped their nets and followed after Jesus. And we asked the question, what nets, what net do we need to let go of? What are we holding on to too tightly where we need to trust Jesus? I was thinking about this theme of following as it relates to my own life and what, it, what my own story is of becoming a follower of Jesus. I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing the stories. My parents helped to plant a church when I was a young kid, and, and we were very involved in church and in worship and I knew the pastor and his family very well. And so I understood some of those stories. I, I recognized some of those stories but Jesus didn't open my heart fully until I went to camp one summer. And this camp has had a huge impact in my life. It's where Shannon and I met. It's where I became a Christ follower. And so literally, uh, going to seventh grade that summer, uh, there was a speaker at camp. He offered a prayer. We went back to our cabins. Our counselor said, if you want to follow Jesus, why don't you pray with me? And so I prayed that prayer. And I became a follower of Jesus, that somehow God ignited something in my heart. I had heard the stories, but I had not yet fully believed that Jesus Christ could be my Lord and Savior. And that began an incredible journey. And I think when we think about this idea of following Jesus, it really is a series of transformations. There is that transformational moment where we come to faith in Jesus, and some of us may remember that moment. Some of us may just feel like we've always been followers of Jesus. But I think there are, more, there are moments along the way where we continue to have these glimpses of Jesus, these, these transforming times. And it doesn't all just happen at once. We continue to learn more about Jesus. I think about the Apostle Paul. The, who we're going to read about actually here in, in just a couple of minutes. But even his f own faith journey as he was blinded and, and then became a follower of Jesus. But if you recall, before he went out to teach and to preach, he spent time alone. He writes about this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to go consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. And Paul basically took three years to learn of the things of Jesus, to journey with Jesus some more before he went out to preach and to teach. It's interesting. That's the same amount of time that the apostles of Jesus spent with him those three years. But this, this following of Jesus is about a journey. So this morning we're going to watch how the gospel moves uh, across the Mediterranean Sea, how basically it moves into Europe, into Greece, into modern-day Greece. And we're going to consider the story of Lydia. 
I want to offer a little background before we get there and kind of set up a little of the stage so that you know exactly what's going on. Acts chapter 15 is the story of the Council of Jerusalem. As Gentiles were coming to faith, there were questions around circumcision and foods that could be eaten or not eaten. And so a a huge council gathers in Acts chapter 15 uh, to talk about the future of the church, to, to set some sort of theological boundaries, if you will, for what future believers ought to be about. And then this message is to be taken to the churches that Paul had planted and and others had planted. But before that happens, Paul and his friend Barnabas get sideways over a guy named John Mark. And you may recall this story that John Mark had abandoned them on their first missionary journey. And Paul said, I don't want to bring him. And Barnabas said, we need to bring him. And uh, they went, they got sideways. Eventually this John Mark writes the gospel of Mark, which is incredible. And Paul and Barnabas and Mark eventually are also reconciled. But because of this, Paul and Silas go in one direction, Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus. And so we're going to read now about the journey of Paul. And I want to, I'm going to show a map to kind of let you see geographically what is happening in our story. So on this map, if you take a look at it, uh, you will note that down in the bottom right, you have Jerusalem. And so this is where this journey would have begun, the second missionary journey of Paul's. And Paul makes his way up to Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And then as he's doing that, he feels that he is supposed to go into Asia. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit says no. And Asia is actually where these churches that we read about in Revelation are located. And so Paul keeps journeying. And and then he wants to go north up to Bithynia. And Jesus says no. So Paul finally makes his way to Troas. And now God shows up and calls him to Macedonia. So it's a very Trinitarian sort of thing that's happening here in the call the Apostle Paul has. So we're going to pick the story up. I want you to just kind of see that geographically what's happening as we read this. We're in Acts chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept, here we go, by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, where the churches of Revelation are located. When they came to the board of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia to the north, but the spirit of Jesus, and now we have Jesus, would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And now verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrake. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So the gospel now moves across the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul goes to the city of Philippi. And it is there that he encounters this woman named Lydia. 
Paul goes down to the river to pray because obviously there were not enough Jewish people in the community. You had to have at least 10 Jewish men in order to have a gathering within the city or to create a synagogue. That wasn't happening. So there were not a lot of Jewish people within the community of Philippi. And so Paul makes his way down to the river and there he meets Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth. Now we read this, but what we need to understand is, is Lydia was a very successful woman. She would have probably been considered a CEO of her company. She owned her own home in Philippi. She probably had her own home in Thyatira where she was from. She was successful. She was wealthy. She had, she had made it, so to speak. And she's gathered there with these other people Worshipping God. But she hadn't heard about Jesus yet. And she hadn't fully become a Jew yet. That's why they call her. It's a kind of a technical term there as they refer to her as a worshiper of God. She would have known the stories. She would have known about Abraham. She would have known about the covenants. She would have known about Moses. She would have known about the law. She would have known about the atonement, the importance of the day of atonement. She would have known the stories of what we consider today the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. Because we are told she was a worshiper of God. But she had yet to hear the story of Jesus. And so Paul begins to speak. And he begins to share. And all of a sudden we read in verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart. She began to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. She began to see that having a relationship with God was more than just knowing a bunch of stuff. It was literally knowing the Savior. And her heart was opened. That all of a sudden, those stories that she had known about, they became real in the person of Jesus. It was very similar to, to kind of my own experience of coming to know Jesus, that, that I, I knew all the right information. I just hadn't yet met the Savior. And so that's precisely what happens here in verse 14. And, and there's a couple things here that we want to see and make sure that we don't, don't miss on this. It says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, which we've talked about. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. God's grace became so apparent. And she responded. And it's interesting, that word respond in the, in the original language has to do with a ship or a boat coming into land, like docking. And what we're reading here is all of a sudden she says, I found a home. I found a resting place in Jesus. That all of that success and everything else that she had achieved paled in comparison to knowing Jesus. The Lord had opened her heart. 
And I want to ask that question of you today. Has the Lord opened your heart? Do you need to have God open your heart? See, I think a lot of us are really good at playing the religious game. We know the right words. We know some of the stories. We go to God when we, when we need something. But do we really have a relationship with Jesus? Are we really following him? Because that's what's happening in the story this morning. That's what's happening with Lydia. It's all of a sudden her heart is breaking. She all of a sudden realizes she's heard these stories, but it doesn't totally make sense until she hears about Jesus and the love that Jesus has for her. And she says, I want to follow him. I want to respond to his love and his grace and his mercy. I want him to be in my life. You see, our faith isn't just about checking off a bunch of boxes, doing a list of do's and don'ts. It's about relationship. It's about Jesus saying, I want to be in relationship with you. And perhaps we have before asked Jesus to be in our hearts and to, to, to enliven us. And, and we've just kind of lost our way. Maybe we need to say to Jesus again, I want to follow you. I need you, Lord, to open my heart again to your love and grace. I need to be transformed by Jesus. Because Jesus says and invites us and he says, I want to travel with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to follow. I want you to follow me. This is the beauty of it. I want you to be a part of the family. And notice how Lydia responds. She responds with relational generosity. And it's rather remarkable. This, this verse 15 is, is almost kind of a challenge. She's a, she says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She said, I want you to see what, my, what this faith has done for me. I want you to see the generosity that I have. I want to invite you to come and stay with me. I want to show hospitality and relational generosity. And I think about that term, relational generosity, in our world today. And I'm a little concerned. I don't know how much relational generosity we see amongst one another. As we're all aware, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away a week or so ago. And regardless of what you think of her politics or her decisions, she was a pioneer and a champion for women. And I was reminded after she passed away of, of her relationship, her friendship with Antonin Scalia, who also was a Supreme Court justice, and they were polar opposites in terms of understanding of the law, in terms of political posturing, in terms of the way in which they voted. But I was always fascinated by this relationship of one on the, on the conservative side and one on the more progressive or liberal side, and yet this friendship that seemed to endure. And Scalia's son on Saturday mor morning posted a tweet uh, that was talking about uh, Jeffrey Sutton, who was a judge who actually clerked for Scalia uh, when he was younger. And Sutton told a story of going into Scalia's office 
and meeting with Scalia and noticing two dozen roses sitting on a table. And, and Scalia says, oh, I need to take those down to, to Justice Ginsburg's office because it's her birthday. And uh, the justice, the uh, Sutton responded back and said, I'm not sure I've ever bought two dozen roses for my wife ever in all of our years of marriage. And Scalia kind of responded back and said, well, maybe you should try it. And Sutton kept pushing and said, have, buy, have, have you buying those roses ever helped you win a 5-4 vote? And Scalia's response was this. Some things are more important than votes. Some things are more important than votes. And it's about the relationship. It's about the friendship. It's about relational generosity. And I hope as we move into this political season that we can remember to be relationally generous with one another that we can show hospitality to one another. That's precisely what Lydia does. She invites them back to her house. I want to suggest what she really does is she sets up a legacy of hospitality for that church in Philippi. We know at the end of Acts chapter 16, after Paul and Silas have been arrested and they're released. They go back to Lydia's house where the church had already gathered. She was already setting up the church in her home, creating this legacy of generosity. And, and we know about this. We, we know that the apostle Paul loved that church in Philippi. He writes about their generosity in Second Corinthians and actually at the end of Philippians in chapter 4. He speaks of their generosity as he begins the letter to Philip to Philippi, Philippi, listen to what he says. This is verse three. I thank this is Philippians chapter one, verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. And then verse eight, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul loved this church in Philippi. There, there are no rebukes in the letter to the church at Philippi, unlike most of Paul's other letters. But I wonder if the generosity of that community of faith wasn't there, was there because of the generosity of Lydia. From the very beginning, as she followed Jesus, she expressed and she showed generosity. It, it goes in well with the whole mission or the whole vision statement of our church that we want to experience and express the transforming love of Jesus. So we're living in different times right now. But I wonder, how are we showing hospitality and generosity to others. How are we living into that legacy of Lydia? I mean, we can't have people into our homes right now. It's very difficult to do that. But I would love for you to think about today, this week, how can I continue the legacy of Lydia? How can I not only experience the transforming, transforming love of Jesus, but how can I 
express it. Because this is what Jesus, I believe, is calling us to do. That as we follow him, we become more generous. We show more hospitality. So my friends, may we seek to follow Jesus and to live lives that express his grace, his mercy, and his hope. Pray with me, please. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to worship. Thank you for the chance to sing and reflect. Thank you, God, for loving us the way in which you do. Help us to go out out into this world and to live fully and faithfully for you. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen.